Hi, my name is Cassidy, and I'm part of the DCC family. Thank you so much for listening to a Church in the City podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it enriches and encourages you today, and that it serves toward fulfilling our mission of empowering a movement of passionate Jesus followers. Hi. Good morning. All right. So, just real quickly, I want to let you know that your DCC men's softball team went to the championships. Okay, now we got spanked real hard. I mean bad. Like, bad. But we played under the lights. It was like, yeah. All my childhood Little League dreams were coming true. It was really cool. Now, I will say this. The team that we played against, they had a lot of, hmm, how should I say, uh, spectators, friends that came from their church family to cheer them on. Now, it's possible that that's why they won. Not to put any undue shame on anyone. That's not my style. But... I mean, if the shoe fits, okay? Um, no, I'm kidding. It was fun, though. Uh, so fall ball starts Monday, so if you want to come out and cheer on your, uh, your DCC softball team, uh, we'll be playing uh, Monday at the same place. Anyway, uh, it was a lot of fun, and I'm pretty sure, I don't think Brian Glass is here, but I'm pretty sure he would agree that the reason that we got into the championships um, is purely by the grace of God. You thought I was going to say it was because of me. That might be it, too. All right. So we're still talking about leaven. And last week, um, last week was amazing. Not the message, like the thing at the end where people were getting like set free. Hey, by the way, um, Sarah Menifee, did you just experience like a miraculous healing the other day? Okay, does anybody question whether God still heals? Okay, so listen, I'll tell you the story. And if you didn't tell this story already, did you? Is it okay? Can I tell your story? Okay. All right. So if you don't know, we had a, we had a meeting on Saturday night with some people, some leaders and stuff. And and she, she and Jonathan were there, and on the way, she said she literally had to recline the seat in the car because her, she was in such tremendous pain. Her back was all, I don't know, screehawed for some whatever reason, I don't know. And uh, at the end, we were just praying and ministering to one another, and we were laying hands on her and praying for her, and, the, and she is 100%? 100%? No issues, no problems, no nothing. So last week, we had this just amazing thing, and man, just the whole thing came uh, unglued at the end, and people were just getting set free, and it was really, really, really cool. And I'm so excited at what God is doing, because it seems to be this like, like momentum that we're getting, and I just want to keep that going. And, and the, the nice thing is, is that we didn't start it going, so we don't have to keep it going. I think the thing is we just have to keep getting in the river. 
Okay, so let's keep getting in the river. Let's keep getting in the stream of what God is doing. And so this morning, we're going to talk about leaven again. And remember that leaven, you know, in the scriptures oftentimes, most times, more often than not, represents something, you know, bad, something not good, something that you don't want. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And Lori shared that um, last week, that we're leaven in the world, that the kingdom of God is like leaven. So as we talk about this, just kind of roll along with me, but I'm going to start by reading what I read um, last week because I think it's important that we, that we stay focused on this idea, especially as we're kind of rolling into this series in the fall and small groups and, and just the things that God is doing. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this, I called it last week, country club Christianity. This, this, this brand of, of Christ following that is about being comfortable. It's about hearing what you want to hear. It's about feeling good. It's about not getting stretched too thin. It's, not a, it's about not being out of your comfort zone. Friends, listen, in America, we have a Christianity of our own making that, frankly seems somewhat divergent from what we see in the New Testament record of the early church. It's a version of the gospel that won't ever make anyone uncomfortable. It's a version of the good news so palatable and sometimes it, sometimes imperceivable that we Christians are often mistaken for the world around us. And the differences between us and those who reject Jesus Christ is all but unnoticeable. Because God forbid, if we were to talk like Jesus actually talked and walk like Jesus actually walked, some folks may have opportunity to be offended with us. Just like they were with him. And let's be honest. What would that do to our Google ratings? And what would Facebook say? See, here in America, we have a version of Christianity where, for example, we don't have to get baptized when we believe if we don't want to, if we're uncomfortable with that. And in fact, it's permissible to ignore most of Scripture such that we don't have to really submit to the Lordship of Christ at all. We don't have to be involved in Christian community or give or pray or fast or read the scriptures. We don't have to share the gospel with those around us or, heaven forbid, lay hands on the sick if that makes us or them uncomfortable. We get to pick. It's up to us because, by God, we're Americans. This is the land of opportunity. Now, I'll say this again. I said it last week. I'm not down on America. I'm a patriot. Uh, I bleed red, white, and blue. I love this country. I weep still when I read the inscription on the Statue of Liberty. So don't mistake me for somebody who's down on America. I'm literally just talking about this American brand of Christianity that seems to be prevalent in our current society. 
And remember that leaven, leaven is defined as a substance, typically yeast, that is used to make dough rise. And as we may or may not know, it only takes a small amount of leaven to affect a whole batch and change it forever. Leaven, as a change agent, is insidious in that it may seem small and harmless, but it permeates everything in its path, affecting it and transforming it. The word leaven is often used to describe something or someone that has a pervasive influence that modifies someone or something, a person, an institution, an organization, a city, or a culture. Jesus told his disciples, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the disciples, when he said that, were confused. They thought he was upset because they'd forgotten to bring bread. Like, you forgot to bring bread. By the way, when you go get some bread, don't get it from the Pharisees or the Sadducees because it's somehow tainted. That's not what he meant, but they were confused. And so I think oftentimes we are as well when we hear something like that. What does that even mean? What does it even mean when Jesus says to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And Jesus says elsewhere, that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The Greek word there that's translated hypocrisy literally refers to an actor in a play. And if you know anything about Greek theater, they would wear masks. And so it's someone who wears a mask, someone that plays a part, someone that isn't at all inwardly what they seem to be outwardly. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Y'all look good on the outside, but in the inside is rotten, dead stinking flesh. Hypocrisy. When we say one thing outwardly and we live differently inwardly. Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself in that camp often where what's happening on the inside of me doesn't seem to be lining up with the truth of what I'm saying on the outside of me. And you know, when I find myself in those places, I say, Lord, I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be outwardly, I want to be inwardly who I say I am outwardly, and I want to be outwardly who I say I am inwardly. I want it to line up. I want it to line up. I want to be a person of consistency. 
I want to be a person that reflects the nature of Christ. I want to be a person that's salt and light in the world around me. I don't want to be a person that speaks negativity. I don't want to be a person that, that, that says things that, that tear people down or that, that, are, that, that say things that are full of judgment or criticism. I want to be salt and light. I want to be an agent of change in the world around me. And friends, I, I'm saying we've got to get real with ourselves. And it's okay to be honest. It's okay to be true. It's okay to be vulnerable and transparent and say, you know what? I don't always do it right. I don't always do it well. I don't always act outwardly the way I say I am inwardly or vice versa. I don't always act consistent with the nature of Jesus who set me free, who lives inside of me, took up his home in me. I don't always do it. And it's okay to say that so long as we say, Lord, help us. So long as we fall on our face, so long as we fall on our knees, so long as we just continually run to the face of God and say, God, transform us. God, change us. Listen, it's time for us to get real. It's time for us to stop messing around. It's time for us to stop saying things that are comfortable and that don't rattle ourselves at all. It's time for us to do that. There's a dying world. There's a dying world out there. There are people that need to hear the good news of Jesus, but if our gospel is just come to church and hear some good music, that's garbage. You know, the other thing that we see really consistently happening with the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees as well, multiple times in the Gospels, they come up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you seem to be someone. Show us a sign. Show us a sign from heaven and then we'll believe. Show us a sign from heaven, and then we'll believe. Believing on our own terms. And where is this in my life? I mean, we see it over and over and over and over, right? I mean, and Jesus rebukes them. He calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. This is what he says. And they get, you know, ticked off a little. Killed him for it. God, I just I really, it's, it's hard sometimes. Anyone who says that believing God is easy is, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Maybe, they're, maybe they don't, I, I don't know. I won't want to say the, they're a liar, but I mean, geez, I don't even know what to say. Like to say that believing God is easy is ridiculous. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. 
You have to be intentional. You have to tear down every thought that tries to exalt itself above the lordship of Jesus Christ. You have to tear down and take captive those thoughts and say, no, I know what God says about who I am. I know what God says about the world around me. I know what God says about how I should be behaving in this situation. I know what God says about what I'm called to do. And by God, I will not allow a thought to gain ground and exalt itself and become the God of my own making. But you have to be on purpose with that. It's not easy. And if you take your foot off the gas, you'll find yourself in a place, I know I do, where all of a sudden I've allowed those thoughts to gain a little ground. I've allowed a little leaven to get into my dough. Guess what Paul said about that? He said a little leaven spoils the whole lump. So where are we believing God on our own terms? God, I'll believe you there, but I need you to do this. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that when he said that? Did he really mean that? What was the first lie perpetrated on mankind? Did God really say? Did God really say? that you can't eat from that tree. Yeah, dummy, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> right? Come on. But they were like, hmm, maybe not. Look, I, I make the same mistake over and over again, right? The, the lie comes in and goes, did God really say that you were called to this? Did God really call you son? Did God really say that he loves you? with an unmerited favor? Did God really say that you don't have to earn his favor? Did God really say that you're his son no matter what? Did God really say that you're forgiven? Did God really say that you're redeemed? Did God really say that you're restored? Did God really say you're a saint and not a sinner? Did God really say that you're his no matter what? Did God really say? And we allow these little thoughts. Maybe you don't, but I do. And when I find myself in that place, I have to repent. And that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. What do we do? We go, oh, geez, I found a little leaven. Well, I guess it's there. I guess the lump is ruined. No, repent. Just say, God, God, I repent. God, I repent. I allowed that thought to gain ground. I allowed that thing to exalt itself above the knowledge of the Most High. Hey, God, I repent. I accept what you say in this situation. I accept what you say about that. The other thing that we see in the Pharisees and the Sadducees is a little word called corruption. Twice in Jesus' earthly ministry, twice he has to go into the temple. This is one of my favorite stories. I love this. Because, I don't know, maybe it was my fault. Probably was. I grew up with this idea of some kind of like hippy-dippy, Jesus Christ superstar, Jesus. It's kind of a sissy. You know, just was all, let's all love each other. Which is great. Jesus is like that. 
but he's no sissy. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, okay, and he looks over the city, and he's out of the temple, and he sees, sees the guys in the temple, and they're buying and selling. What that meant was that essentially the temple system operated on sacrifice, right? And it operated on, you know, giving and all this kind of stuff. And so when somebody would come to the temple and they would go to give a gift, a monetary gift, and maybe that gift was not in the right currency, they would exchange it for them. What a bunch of nice guys, right? They would just go ahead and exchange it for them at a price, an exorbitant price. And then someone would come with a sacrifice, and they would bring this they would bring this lamb or this dove or this whatever it was. And, you know, there's a certain prescription for what a sacrifice looked like in the temple and what it looked like for it to be okay. And these people in the temple, the people that ran the temple, the Sadducees, they would, uh, they would look over that sacrifice and they'd go, eh, eh, no, that one's not going to work. It's a little, eh, we'll sell you one at an inflated cost. So Jesus comes in and he sees this taking place and Jesus doesn't lose control. Jesus doesn't flip his lid. He doesn't go crazy. He sits down and he fashions a whip of cords. This is a methodical, thought-out deal. This is not an overreaction. This is not an impulse. This is an intentional decision. He sits down, he makes a whip of cords. Goes down there, drives them out with the whip, flips over the tables, causes a big commotion. They get mad. Crucify them for it. Corruption. Jesus wants to drive out corruption in us just like he drove out corruption in that temple. Comes back a couple years later, and sure enough, same thing's happening. So he does it again. Jesus is dogmatic about driving out corruption in us. And that corruption can be just the littlest things. Again, I named a lot of stuff just a minute ago about all these different lies that we allow to perpetrate. We water down the gospel. Well, mm, you know, maybe it doesn't really mean that. and Maybe it doesn't really mean that. And, you know, maybe the word really, maybe that's just a cultural thing over there. And maybe this is just a cultural thing over here. And maybe Jesus didn't really believe that. And maybe there's really no hell. And maybe there's really no this. And maybe there's really no that. And come on, fooey. Where is that corruption in our lives? And here's the thing, okay? Again, I'm just, I'm just trying to get real because I believe that all of us have a little leaven. And if you don't, man, praise God. Okay, praise God for you. I'm not being sarcastic. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. But I think a lot of us do. There's areas where we're allowing, and, and it comes and goes, right? Where if we're not vigilant, if we're not staying, like I said, if we're not keeping our foot on the gas, if we're not paying attention, it just slips in. Where is corruption slipping in? And you know, the other thing that I see a lot in these Pharisees and in these Sadducees is a little thing that I like to call self-justification and religion. 
Let's look at his story. John chapter 8. This is a good one. They're all good ones. This is a really good one. They're all really good ones. This is one of my favorites. So John chapter 8, and, uh, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple area, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began teaching them. Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now, they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. Now, let's pause here for just a second. This group of men, these Pharisees and scribes, had absolutely no interest in justice. Okay? This was not about justice. Okay? In fact, in fact, their very act of bringing only the woman was a violation of the law of Moses. Ironic. Huh? Ironic. In the law, it says that the man and the woman should be stoned. And so if these folks were really concerned with justice, they'd have been dragging them both into the temple courts and said, Jesus, what do you say? But that's not what happened. Where's the man? I don't know. Maybe it was one of them. Not sure. Maybe it was a sting operation. Who knows? I don't know. It doesn't say. Seems irrelevant. But look it. Think about this, okay? What's the deal, right? It says there, John tells us that they did this to test him. So what happens is, okay, here at this point in time, if Jesus says, no, let's not stone her, because his entire ministry is based on the forgiveness of sinners, okay? The entire ministry of Jesus so far is based on forgiving people just like this. So if he says, no, let's forgive her, then he's clearly in violation of the law, right? According to them. If he says, yeah, let's take her outside the city gates and give her a real stoning, they're going to turn him over to the Romans. Because at this point, the Romans have taken away from the Jewish people their right to capital punishment. So to do that would be a violation of the Roman law. So in one hand, he's going to violate the law of Moses. In the other hand, he's going to violate the law of the Moses, excuse me, the law of the Romans. And so they think they have him cornered. But Jesus is smarter than you and me and them. Okay? Jeez, amen. Thank God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? All right. Can I get a witness? Um, sorry. I, I was really having fun playing drums this morning, so I'm kind of juiced up a little bit here. So. so then it goes on. So they were saying this to test him so that he might have grounds for accusing him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, 
He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, do not sin any longer. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about what Jesus wrote on the ground. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. I really don't. I, I'm, not, I'm not that smart. And I wasn't there. And he hasn't told me. So apparently, I don't need to know. There's a lot of questions that I've asked the Lord over the years, and he just ain't told me. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm okay with mystery. I never used to be okay with mystery. I still need to know everything. I still need to understand everything. But the closer I get to the mysterious fire of God, the closer I get, the more I kind of like it. Listen, um, self-justification is dangerous. I wrote this down yesterday, and I think it's true. Religion will always turn a blind eye to the humanity of the people that it judges and violates, justifying its behavior as serving the greater good and defending what's right. But woe to the religious one who chooses to reject the ancient way of God, choosing instead the ways of men. These men in this story they had not the things of God in mind. They were merely trying to serve their own ends. Merely trying to serve their own agenda. And they turned a blind eye to this woman and had not a single care. Did they even let her get dressed? I don't know. How humiliating. Think about this scene. All these people are coming to see. They're in the temple courts for crying out loud. There's a lot of people around. And they just drag this woman in there. No thought to her humanity. No thought to her needs. No thought to this person. And frankly, clearly, at some point in this story, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and they realize their own sin. Whatever Jesus wrote on the ground, maybe it was nothing. 
Maybe he was just waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his thing. Maybe he was just giving it time for these guys to realize. And it's interesting, it's interesting that the oldest left first. Let you chew on that. Listen, the person who walks in self-justification always looks far more intently at the mistakes of others than they do their own. Not only that, they normally will create a rating system in which their sins and shortcomings are not as bad as those around them. Listen, if we're going to keep step, stepping into this river, we're going to keep stepping into this stream, God is going to bring us on a path where we're going to encounter people like this woman. And if we're busy inflating the flaws of others, in order to make ourselves feel better, we're going to miss out on the great and amazing things that God has for us to partner with him on. Again, I'm not preaching works here. I know somebody might say that, that, well, brother, you know, you're saying that if we don't do this, then we're going to miss out. I'm saying that if we don't get our perspective right, how can we expect to see the things that God is doing? Jesus constantly said, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has his perspective right, she who has her perspective right about the things that God is doing, listen, if we don't get our perspective right, if we don't get lined up with what he's doing and saying, if we don't get lined up with his heart and stop messing around with all this garbage, what are we going to miss? What are we going to miss? In first century Judea, many groups were offended with Jesus for a great many reasons. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Romans. Right, wrong, or otherwise, they all had their reasons. The Pharisees, out of their fear of being rejected by God, built a man-made religious construct designed to prove and maintain their own worthiness of God's favor. As such, they resented how Jesus so flagrantly dismissed their own man-made ideas and standards of righteousness. On the contrary, the Sadducees, out of their love for wealth, power, and status, and their fear of losing it, resented the fact that submitting to the lordship of Christ might bring instability to the life that they'd grown to love and that they might lose their dignity, their possessions, and their place in society and government. Maybe these examples seem extreme. I mean, think about it. It was these offenses that led these men to brutally torture and crucify Jesus. 
But what about us? What do we allow in our own lives, in our own families, in our own church, in the world around us? By allowing a little leaven to creep in, even if not in our own selves, aren't we complicit? Aren't we called to be culture makers, salt and light, agents of change? Is there ever an area where we are offended at Jesus' claim of lordship over us? Friends, We've said it once, and we'll say it a hundred times. Revival starts from within. Revival starts from within. So let us exclaim, as the psalmist once did, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Put me to the test, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Listen. We're not here to play church. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake to continue to try to cultivate a Christianity where we're just comfortable. We need to continue to press in. And if anyone's taking any kind of a heavy here, that's not my intention. I'm being honest with you about where I'm at. And I'm asking you to be honest with yourselves. I'm saying, come on, let's get honest. Let's get honest with God like he doesn't know already. Let's get honest with God. Let's get honest with God and say, God, look, search me. Search my heart. Search me. Know me. If there's any way in me that's not your way, then show me that way so that I can repent and turn around and go yours. God, this is my heart's desire. My heart's desire is that I would live a life of consistency and integrity. True to the character of Christ who's in me. Loving the world around me and being honest about the truth of God and the way that he set things up to be and the truth of what he says about everything. Not waffling, not wavering, not compromising, not being corrupted, not allowing those little thoughts to gain ground, but tearing them down and saying, no, I know what God says about that. We'll stand to our feet and pray. And I'm going to turn it over to Shauna. The band can come. God, we just love you. Search us, Lord. Search us, Lord. 
Draw us deeper, Lord. Draw us deeper, Lord. Draw us deeper, Lord. Draw us deeper, Lord. I just want to encourage you that as we go back into a time of response, that prayer is available in the back. So don't forget to make use of that. And if there's anything you need to be encouraged about, any, any, anything you need at all, any needs you have, if there's sickness in your body, if you heard that story about Sarah this morning earlier and she said, yeah, man, I'd like to get me some of that. Dave and Mary are back there and they would love to lay hands on you and pray for you and believe with you. You just need to be encouraged. You just need to say, you just say I've just been discouraged this week. If you find yourself in a place this morning where you're like, this Jesus that you're talking about, this fire, this all-consuming fire, I'm not sure I really know that Jesus. Go talk to him about that. And as we worship together, as we sing together, let's just ask the Lord, God, show me. Search me. Search me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Church in the City podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review wherever you are listening to the podcast and share this episode with a friend as we are fulfilling our mission of empowering a movement of passionate Jesus followers. Thank you again and see you Wednesday for our midweek podcast.